morning. Have you ever had to go to a really important meeting, a serious meeting, a meeting that uh, could go one way or the other, and one way would be really great, and one way would be devastating, uh, but it's going to go one way or the other. There's no middle ground. And uh, therefore, this meeting is you know, one that you're, um, you know is so important, you're really serious about it, you're uh, maybe a bit anxious and a bit concerned. And if you had that sort of meeting, I can think of a couple of things in life that might fall into that, but nothing as much as we're going to talk about today. But if you have that sort of meeting, it's who you're meeting with will determine what's going to go on. Uh, what is that person, or if it's a committee or whatever, uh, what are they like? What do they want from you? How do you please them? What's going to uh, give you the approval? Well, today we're looking at Amos, and Amos is going to tell us how we're going to um, get the approval of God when we all have that meeting with God that we're at, we must have. At the end of our life, we're all going to be accountable. Every created being is going to be accountable to God, every person. And what's going to please God? What's going to make that meeting go well rather than disastrous? What's going to please God? And Amos is going to tell us, be sure to love what God loves. If you love what God loves, then that's a general thing, but that'll mean you'll keep making the right decisions all the time. And that's going to make that meeting at the end of our life go right with God. First of all, in uh, the end of chapter 13, there's, uh, we, we're hearing uh, testifying against the house of Jacob, the, the nation of Israel. Uh, they're in trouble with God. And it's like a courtroom. It says in verse 13 of chapter 3, Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, the nation of Israel that nation that God made a special covenant relationship with, uh, told them his name, uh, invited them uh, to enter into a binding agreement with him. He'll be their God, they'll be his people. The descendants of Jacob declares the Lord, the Lord God Almighty. God who is an almighty God. Lord there, capital L-O-R-D, is that uh, hiding the name of Yahweh, that name that God gave the nation of Israel, that name that was so important they didn't put in the Bible because they didn't want to uh, be accused of t saying that name lightly or without reverence or serious respect. Uh, but he gave them his name. And if people give you your... People don't tell you your name, you know something straight away, don't you? You know, okay, well, the relationship's not going to go anywhere. They're not giving me their name, it's really stopping there. But if they give, people give you their name, that's the start of a relationship. Uh, you can call them by name. You know who to go looking for if you want to find them. A name is vital. And God gave his name because he wanted Israel to be his special people. And now we have a courtroom situation where they're here and testify. There's going to be witnesses. The nation's on trial. There's going to be evidence presented. And we'll look at some of that evidence soon. They're in trouble with God because they've broken a legally binding agreement where he says he'll be their God and do certain things for them. And he's done that. He's taken them out of slavery. He's brought them to the promised land. He's defeated enemies. He's helped them to prosper. He's done over and over. He's kept his side of the deal, protecting them from enemies and so forth. But they have constantly broken their side, failing to keep his laws, disobeying him, not living as he pleases, not loving what God loves. And it goes on the beginning of uh, the end of chapter fourteen, chapter three, sorry, verse fourteen. On that day, I'll punish Israel for her sins. 
I will destroy the altars of Bethel. The horns of the altar will be cut off. Bethel was a place where Israel was offering sacrifices. It was now become a false shrine of, of worshipping other gods. And it was uh, what they were hoping. It was a last refuge. When, when people would attack, they would go to Bethel and they would plead to their gods for safety. It was a last refuge. But that refuge is going to be destroyed by God. He goes on then to talk about verse 15, I'll tear down the winter house along with the summer houses. You know what winter and summer houses are? They're not one house that can be both. They're two houses. When I was at Bundanoon living up there, uh, there were people, particularly in Sutton Forest, there were lots of summer houses there. People who, in past, really wealthy people, even the governor of the state had a house up there. Wealthy people from Sydney had weekend properties up there, uh, particularly years ago when uh, summer and there wasn't the air conditioning in the way we have now, people would go to cooler climates like Blue Mountains and stuff for summer. That's the idea here. People who have a, both a house in one place and a house in another, they're very well off. And look what it says about them. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed. Their houses are not just houses, but they're luxurious houses. And they'll be destroyed because they're living for their pleasure. They're ignoring God, their creator. And therefore, they're in trouble with God. And look, he talks more about them. He calls in verse chapter 4, verse 1, Hear this word, you cows of Basham, on Mount Samaria. He's actually calling these people cows. And, and he's saying these cows is say to their husband, you know, bring them some more drinks. Um, this is uh, talking about women, but it's not sexist. We'll talk about that in a minute. They're ignoring God, their creator. And therefore they're in trouble with God. And look, he talks more about them. He calls in verse Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Basham on Mount Samaria. He's actually calling these people cows. And, and he's saying these cows is say to their husband, you know, bring them some more drinks. Um, this is uh, talking about women, but it's not sexist. We'll talk about that in a minute. But there is an upper class women, and he's comparing them to the best breed of cows in ancient Canaan. And he's saying that these cows used to be raised and pampered on pastures north of, of the Jordan River. And, and he's comparing these women to these fat cows who have just been nurturing life and don't have any worries. And they're just people who are godless pride, are deeply corrupted because look what happens then next. Verse 2, the sovereign Lord has sworn his holiness, a time will come surely when you'll be taken away with hooks and last fish hooks in your mouth. Uh, they're going to be taken away. They're going to be um, removed because their people, as it says back in verse 1, women who oppress the poor and crush the needy, they're living the high life, but they're, they're oppressing the poor. They're crushing the needy. And that goes directly against how God wants his people to live. We've looked already, but in chapter 5, verse 24, the theme of Amos is, But let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-failing stream. God wants his people to be just and right living in all that they do. A blanket thing, not just go and offer some sacrifices, not just go and do this on certain religious festivals, not do this sometimes, but 
be righteous and have justice everywhere in all you do. That's important. And God's saying it's, it's vitally important how you treat the people around you. These upper class women were symbols of the nation who weren't doing that. We've already looked before that uh, the nations of Israel and Judah were in a, a very uh, prosperous time. The life was easy. They were strong and powerful when this book of Amos is written. And they're living the good life. But there's so much living the good life, there's people amongst them who are really being ignored and downtrodden and oppressed, actively oppressed. And so they're corrupted by sin, both male and female. And it says now, verse 2 of chapter 4, the sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. God who is in control and there's nothing stronger than his holiness his holiness is who he is. He's separate. He's absolutely distinct from all the creation. He's, he's God. It's his whole being and character. And by who he is, it's saying that the Lord is swearing by who he is, what's going to happen? It's something certain that's going to take place. It goes on in verse 2 to talk about The time will come when you'll be taken away with hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. Now, what used to happen in those days when nations would conquer other nations and particularly, you know, uh, they would take the wealthy and the rich and the proud and powerful people of that nation and they would humble them, the ones that survived. A lot of them would be killed off. It's pretty ruthless. But the ones that survived, they'd often take them away naked or stripped off and uh, nothing bare, just in tatters and rags, and they would lead them away on ropes with fish hooks through their lips or through their bodies joined together. It was horrible. And here they go, rich and powerful, can do as I please, and then God is saying, no, you're not. You're going to be taken away and it's going to be horrible. And that's the ones who survive. And that was going to happen when Assyria came down and attacked them in about 50 years' time from this. It did happen. And God's saying this, we looked before, why does God tell them all this? He wants to get their attention. He wants them to change. He's issuing a warning, but they don't listen because they've got all the wealth and life is comfortable and it's not going to happen to us. And it does. And they love their rituals and their forms, but they weren't doing what God loves. Chapter 4, verse 4. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Those are places where they went to worship. And when they were worshipping there, they were doing everything wrong by God. They were worshipping other gods. They weren't doing it the way God wanted them to, the way he told them to. Look at verse 5. Burn leavened bread as thank offerings and brag about your free will offerings. You weren't allowed to burn the leavened bread. That was a distinct No. So they were taking something that God said to do and have leavened bread there, but then they were doing something to it which was totally against what God wanted. And they were doing it because it pleased them. They were in control. They developed this, this ritual, and it was a, a cultic sort of ritual which, you know, we do this and we do that and we can do as our please and, and, and God will do something. He'll act in favour of or the God's will. They loved all forms of ritual religion. But they didn't love what God loves. 
They didn't love goodness and mercy and kindness and justice. And so they're offering inappropriate gifts to the Lord. They're breaking the law. And their whole heart was wrong. Their whole attitude was wrong. And what's worship for us? You know, I've got to to be careful. We've all got to be careful. We can think of worship as what we do here on Sunday right now. And if we think of that only as worship, then that is wrong. Because worship, yes, this is worship what we're doing, but it's not limited to here. Because worship to God is not in a particular place and not in a particular time or even with a particular group of people. What's worship for God? It's the whole of our lives responding to him. It's how we live. It's how we love God and love one another, the great commandment. It's how we actively live out our life. And so reverence for God will not never be limited to any particular time or place. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is our spiritual act of worship. It's offering our lives, our motto, living lives for Jesus. That's worship. Living every moment. What we think, what we say, what we do, publicly and privately, that is worship of God. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to have him and his son Jesus at the centre of who we are and of what we do. Then we'll please him. Then we'll love what God loves. In fact, in Psalm 51, verse 17, it says, The sacrifices acceptable to God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart of God you'll not despise. God's not looking at the outside. Yeah, he knows what's going on outside. But he's more so looking at the inside of each and every one of us when we do anything, when we come to church or Bible study, when we go and do track or serve in mission fields or whatever we do, God's looking, yes, at the outside, but more at the inside. And are we doing with a, with a broken spirit that's relying on him, not doing it in proud in our own strength, not who we are, but relying on him, and our hearts contrite, are we want to listen and learn and grow from God and grow from working with one another? That's what God's looking at. And the nation that Amos was writing to were not at all doing that. And so he says to them... In, Verses, chapter 4, verses 6 and following, prepare to meet God. He talks in verses 6 to 11 about things that happened in the past, about the way God uses natural disasters to discipline and warn people, to get people's attention, to, to know that they're not in control, that God is. So he talks of lack of rain in verses 7 and 8. We've got lack of rain now, haven't we? And, and lack of rain is a, a particular natural disaster that stands out because bushfires yeah they come through and then they go and they're over in a couple of months yeah the damage is there but then it grows back and people get on with life to some degree and floods they come they're there but then they go down you clean up and then you go on with life you know storms and winds come and blow and yeah damage is done in the cloud. but what about a drought does a drought just come and go like that in a couple of months droughts take years They build year after year after year. And once they come, people are just so bashed around by it. They're so in so much trouble. They've had to sell off their stock. There's so much debt. Life is so hard. That's a demanding impact on them and their communities. Some can't recover. It's going to take a long time to recover. You know, we we think um, 
We can fall in the trap thinking, oh, you know, we're not on the farm, we're insulated from droughts. Are we? Who's ever had water restrictions in their life? Yeah. And at one stage they were talking, you know, they built the desalination plant because they thought we need it, but it hasn't been used, but it might be used again. Uh, but water restriction, when you've when you, when you got to watch your water, that's an issue. What about Cape Town? You know, they had a severe water restriction. They had a water restriction where it was down below 10% and they were looking at having to evacuate the whole major city because of water. Even they got some rains, but it's still now still going to be critical next year because the, the water levels drop down so much, it's going to be such a hard thing to bounce back. Prices go up. We can be affected by drought too. But we are affected by other things. We are affected by other natural disasters. And natural disasters remind me, and they should remind us all, we're not in control. I mean, I can think I'm in control. You know, I can be in my car and I can set all climate control. I can control the climate in my car. The rain doesn't bother me. The temperature can be right. I can listen to music. I can do that at home too, can't you? We can do it in here with our air conditioning going. We can get in places where we can isolate ourselves from nature. But we've still got to go out in it, don't we? We've still got to go out. And so we can have these pockets of moments where we're secure and isolated, but that's only a temporary thing, and that's not the real world. The real world out there, God's in control, and there's things that happen out there that we're not in control of. And we need to recognise there is a God, and we need to be right with him. And so he goes on to talk in verse 11 something interesting, particularly for those who like fires, and I'm a firebug. Verse 11, he talks about, I'll overthrow some of you as I overthrow Sodom and Gomorrah. They got destroyed, they were bad, they got smashed and obliterated. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet some of you have not returned to me. A burning stick snatched from the fire. You've got a fire going and there's a stick on fire and you snatch it from the fire, you save it from being burned. It reminds me of a bushfire. A bushfire coming and things start to get on fire and something valuable to you, you rush in and get it and you take it out. It's been a bit burned but you get the flames off it and you save it. And that's the idea here. The nation of Assyria are going to come down they're going to smash the whole group of people. People are going to be killed, people are going to live away fish hooks, it's going to be horrible but God's going to save some. He's going to save a remnant. And it's because of his grace, even though they've done the wrong thing, even though he'd be quite within his rights to wipe them all out and pick another nation and start again, he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. And that's what it's talking about here. And isn't it good that he's like that? Because he's like that today with you and me. You know, he snatches us from the fire. He doesn't let us be consumed by the evil that we do and the evil in this world. And so he says in verse 11, the idea of they, to return to me, that's constant. He's going to snatch them from the fire. He wants them to return to him, to love him the way he loves them. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, because I'll do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare. Take life seriously. You're going to one day meet your God, the God who made you, the God who is controlling all things, the God you're accountable to. They to return to me. That's constant. He's going to snatch them from the fire. He wants them to return to him. To love him the way he loves them. So he says in verse 12, 
Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, because I'll do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. Prepare. Take life seriously. You're going to one day meet your God, the God who made you, the God who is controlling all things, the God you're accountable to, the meeting you can't avoid. Yeah, you can avoid lots of meetings, can't you? Yeah. I remember at school getting in trouble with the teachers, you'd avoid them. Yeah. Or you get in trouble at work, you avoid that person. You can avoid some things. This is one you can't avoid. This is one we're all going to have. It's a really important meeting. It's got to go right. We've got to make sure it goes right. When we come into that meeting, we're going to know straight away where, you know, if it's relying on us, I'm in trouble. I haven't been perfect. I'm in big trouble. We want that meeting to go well. And verse 13 tells us that God is such a powerful, majestic God. He can do whatever he wants. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dark dawn to darkness and treads on to the heights of the earth. The Lord Almighty is his name. God can do whatever he wants and when we go to this meeting, he's going to be totally in control. He has all power. We need to please him. We need to be on the right side of him. As it's talked in uh, chapters 1 and 2 about the nations continuing to sin, you know, three times they sin, four times they sin. It was talking about continuing to sin. That's me. That's us. We continue to sin. But it isn't great we've come now after the time of Jesus because you and I deserve to go to hell. We don't deserve good things. We're rebels. But now everything has changed. And I love it what it says in Romans chapter 8 when Paul's writing to the, to the Romans He's told them all about what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He's told them about the importance of responding in faith, uh, the idea that we sin and we, we desperately need to be forgiven and to respond by uh, seeking that forgiveness and trusting Jesus. And then Romans chapter 8, he talks about that great courtroom that we're going to face our God. He says, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus... No condemnation. We're going to stand before God. We're guilty. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to be separated from God for eternity. We deserve what happened to the Israel people. But God is a God of grace, a God of mercy. And we have that in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we're guilty, but we're found innocent. Because Jesus died on the cross. Because when we stand in that courtroom and we're guilty, we're bad, but Jesus is going to say, I died for him. I died for her. They're forgiven. They're with me. Passover. Isn't Jesus important to us? Remains important. So let's not be like the Israelites who just harden themselves. Oh, we can wait till later. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I'll put it off. Let's not be like that. Let's be people who are serious about Jesus day in and day out. And serious about Jesus that we really want to live our lives for him. We really want him to be the centre of what we do. We want to please Jesus in what we do because we please Jesus, we'll please God the Father. So let's please Jesus. And not just by the outward things. Yes, let's please him by the outward things, but let's make sure the inward part's pleasing him too. We're doing it with the right motives, the right reasons. We're doing it continuing to rely on Jesus for forgiveness and we want to change, you want to grow and want to please him. Let me pray.
You're a great God. And thank you for not treating us as we deserve. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for bringing uh, your son into the world to pay the price for our sin. And Lord, we still are not perfect. We still can be rebels, but little rebels, not big rebels, because we know we, we've changed. We know we've done the wrong thing. We're trying to change. And Lord, we want you more and more and more in our life, Jesus. We want to know you more. We want to love you more. We want to appreciate more you every day of how important you are, how necessary, and how much we have you, having you. And Jesus, we want to we want to know how bad we are, so we can see how good you've made us, and we can celebrate with great joy. And Lord Jesus, we want to have that that unbridled joy of knowing we're forgiven and knowing we're right with you, our Father, knowing we have new life, knowing we're adopted sons and daughters and nothing of it is from what we earned or deserved. It's all your gift to us, a precious gift in Jesus. And we want to rejoice in that. And so, Lord, that we might offer ourselves as living sacrifices, we might live in a way that's going to love you, please you and honour you. We pray in your son's name. Amen.